Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. Together, we're about to explore and deconstruct the shame and stigma surrounding our sexuality. You heard that right. We're going deep on the topics of sex, relationships, spirituality, health, and everything else that impacts our ability to live, love, and orgasm freely. My hope is to shine a light on our shared experiences by normalizing taboo topics and empowering each of you to reclaim autonomy of your pleasure, your bodies, and your lives. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where I ask all the uncomfortable and embarrassing questions for you. Our unofficial mantra is be curious, not judgmental. So leave your inner prude at the door or strap her in tight because this is happening. I'm going to keep this short, but I just wanted to let you know that this week's episode is a little different than what I normally do. I am releasing this on a Monday instead of a Wednesday. It is what I'm referring to as a gorilla episode, kind of bootstrapped this one. Uh, My friend Joe and I put it together over the weekend to get it to you on Monday for a reason. I just felt like the conversation was too important to wait, especially in the current climate. And for space and time reference, last week there was an outcry from the black community, um, a, a really powerful one that is that is still going. And I pray that it goes and goes and goes until we finally achieve some justice for the, the lost lives, for the systemic racism that has plagued our country for over 400 years. But last week there was a really important action taken on social media where influencers were asked to mute white noise or white voices in order to amplify black voices. And so we are coming off of that week. I did not release an episode last week, but today my good friend, Joe Encarnacion, who you are going to get to know really well in the next couple of weeks, we have several episodes actually slated to come out that I haven't had a chance to release yet, but you're going to be getting to know her a lot. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. This was more of a friend to friend, heart to heart, soul to soul. This was not a professional interview. And we're we're talking about race. We are having a conversation about racism as a Filipino American. She had a really tough week just trying to understand where her voice fit in all of this and and what her role was. She's also an influencer by, by trade, by choice. And we really talked about the weight of responsibility that goes with that. And she shares her personal story of feeling other because of the color of her skin. And I really wanted to create a safe space for this dialogue. So it is rambly. It is awkward. It is, you know, maybe we don't get all of it right, but it is authentic. It is honest. And it is coming from a place of desperately wanting to create safety and support around this. And for me personally, I am taking this platform very seriously and I plan, uh, even more so than I have been doing, I plan to continue elevating the voices and stories of powerful women who have overcome trauma and challenge and hardships in life to be the women that they are and to reach out and to touch and to heal in the way that each of them do. So 
I wanted to just give you guys kind of a heads up, like this is not business as usual, but I do expect to be having more of these types of conversations in the future. Please come at me with questions, thoughts, um, anything like that. And I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to thank each and every one of you for being here. I wanted to begin this episode with a gratitude practice. At the end of the episode, Joe shares why the gratitude practice is so important. She gives a super smart, sciencey reason, but part of it is that it prepares your body, literally the act of giving gratitude or giving thanks prepares your body to learn and to receive and gives you a boost of positive hormones. So I just wanted to share my gratitude for each and every one of you who makes up this community and send my love out to you. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how it lands for you. I'm here with my good friend, Joe Incarnacion, who you are going to get to know real well um, (laughs) because she's slated for several episodes coming up in the future that I haven't had a chance to release. Um, And we are having a really necessary conversation today. And I'm going to, I'm going to be super Kristen right now, and I'm just going to lay it out this way. I am here as a white blonde woman to stand in solidarity with black people and people of color and all religions and races and ethnicities and sexual orientations and all of the things like loving well is a core value of mine. And that is what I am here for. But I am not here to have this conversation about race through my white lens. I am still sitting with and uh, really, really marinating in that white privilege. I am doing my own deep work around addressing just the, the deep ways in which privilege has impacted me and how I have behaved out of those um, unconscious biases. And so I'm not at a place where I'm here to give you guys like my perspective or my opinion. I don't think that that is appropriate at this time. But what I am going to do is I'm going to open up this space as a, a very safe space for other voices to be elevated and be heard and be supported. And so I am a little like a bull in a china shop in this area, you know. I'm just going to put that out there. It's I'm doing it clumsily. I'm not always doing it well, but something that I have been saying to my friends this week as we have been kind of taking a backseat to creating our own content and and really just letting other people speak and educate us. I would rather be momentarily um, clumsy or ignorant or you know something like that than be actively and knowingly complicit. So this is me having an uncomfortable conversation, maybe not getting all of it right. Give me grace, y'all. Uh, I just want to open this up and make it a really safe space. And so I'm bringing my good friend Joe in here because Joe is a Filipino American who has a lot of other things going on with her. And I'm going to let, we're going to get into all of them and I'm going to let her share a lot about those. But I I think it's really important to have this conversation um, because Joe and I were in conversation amongst ourselves just as personal friends in real life this week with all of the heaviness in the world and everything going on. And one of the things that came up um, from another friend who is actually Filipino American also, and this is where I I feel is a great starting point for us, Joe, she had just popped into my inbox and she was saying, you know, when 
I started seeing all the black squares and I started seeing everyone saying, I'm muted, I'm muted, I'm muted, I'm muted. She said, I got really triggered because as a Filipino American, as a woman of color who has struggled my whole life with even embracing the fact that I am a woman of color because whiteness has been celebrated and was the thing that should be attained, I... I feel like I'm just finding my voice. I feel like I'm just diving into activism around this and supporting this and embracing this part of my heritage and also being able to stand up for other, you know, marginalized peoples. And I am really struggling with being muted. I don't feel like I should mute myself right now. I feel like this is the wrong time to mute myself, but do I have a right to say anything because I'm not black, you know? And that was, that was the conflict that came up. And, you know, just like I told you, I shared with her, I was like, you know what? I am blonde and white. And this week is not the week. Like for me to give my personal opinion, to share my lens, like I need to sit back and I need to learn and I need to listen. I'm like, I don't, that decision, what feels right in your gut, as long as you know, you feel sure that it is not centering. I feel like that's an area that is, it's only up to you guys to decide like what makes sense to share and not share. And I, around, you do a lot of coaching and stuff around this. And I've seen some amazing stuff from you this week about this very thing. So do we want to start right there? Yeah. I mean, first off, like this week was really hard for me, like really fucking difficult for me. Um, it was a week that not only was I confused as like how to use my voice, when to use my voice, is it right to use my voice? Uh, and also I kind of share the same sentiment as your friend. Like I just, I'm finding my voice in every single area of my life over and over again in different ways. And the moment I feel like I find it in one way, it's almost like, oh fuck, do I need to go back into the closet with this particular thought, belief, value or whatever, because it might not be okay to somebody. And you know, it's, I'm laughing because I am currently in the fucking Joe closet. sitting in the closet. Like <laughs> so I was, true. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to be insensitive <laughs> to what she was talking about, but I'm looking at her and she's literally sitting on the floor in her closet. <laughs> I am on the floor Ironic. in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> talking about how my beliefs, values, and thoughts have felt closeted during this week. Do you want to crack the door while we talk? Is that going <laughs> to make it a little bit better? <laughs> to let some air out, to just let some energetically, out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, it's just been, it's been challenging. It's been really challenging. And I've had side conversations with, you know, people in my Asian American community and my Filipino community and, you know, thought leaders and different influencers and coaches and whatever. And we're just like, we don't know what the fuck to do right now. And we feel really, and I'm, I know that I'm generalizing when I say this, but the, again, these are the people I'm in conversation with. But the sentiment that we all had was like, how do we use our voice? We just found our voice and now we're told to mute our voice and wait. But we want to we wanna also activate the, the culture and our people behind us to say, hey, you have a voice because I have a voice. So use your fucking voice because Black Lives Matter. Use your yeah. voice as an Asian American woman. Use your voice as a Filipino American woman, whatever, to elevate your fellow brothers and sisters who need help raising and lifting up their voices. Yet we're also told to not use our voice. Right. And it was so difficult because it was coming, for me, it was coming from so many different angles. It was like, I was getting beat up by like, <clears throat> I was getting beat up by like, you know, other coaches or by business mentors or, and, and, and again, it wasn't like they were actually beating me up or telling me not to do these things, but like there was just so much feedback and I did not know how to actually discern 
through that feedback of what was right for me. And it got super confusing in my own body of like, fuck, well then you know what? I'm just going to actually just not say anything. Yeah. And, and do the work where I know I, I can do that best, which is in my own communities, in my family, in my work as a coach, in my work as an instructor, as a, as a instructor for other coaches, like that is where I'm going to best serve my energy to. But it was so hard on the social media side because you want to mobilize, you want to get people to think, you want to get people to just ask themselves the hard questions. And then you're also like thinking, do I have the right to fucking do this? Yeah. Is this okay for me? Well, something I uh, had no idea about, and that again, just speaks to my fucking like white privilege, did not know there was, you shared a lot of connections between a time in history when black people really came through for Filipino people and why it was so important for Filipino people to be standing up and speaking for black people right now. Could you share a little bit about that? Cause that was something that like, I was yeah. like, Oh my God, like it's so important. Yeah. The one that comes to mind for me and the one that stands out most for me is I believe it's between 1937 and 1935. And it happened in Washington, Seattle, Washington, or the state of Washington where uh, the black and Filipino communities stood up against um, this act that was being put in place regarding anti-interracial marriage. And it was the black and Filipino communities that were like, fuck, this isn't right. You know, you're going to tell us now that you're a going to tell us what our skin color, like uh, that our skin color is already not enough. Now you're also going to control how we want to love. If we want to love other people that is not of our, of our own racial background like how fucked up is that? You're telling us that our that we already as existence are not enough, and now you're telling us that we can't love a certain way. Mm. It was one of those things that stood up for me because I know in my own personal experience, as being a queer poly Filipino American woman, um, I am coming out here saying, look, I want to love in a non-binary, non-traditional way because it works right for me and it feels good in my body. And also, I am also Filipino fucking American and I want to be proud about that. And I want to be proud about all these things. And I want to know that all these things can exist because at least in my experience, it's not harming anyone around me. Yeah. And so that was one pivotal moment in history that I think for me was like, whoa, like, wow, that is amazing that the Black and Filipino communities are standing up. And there's also some history around um, the Black communities standing up for Filipinos in a time of war when Filipinos were being uh, spoken to in a very derogatory manner by other American soldiers. And one in particular, I don't know the name. My husband, John, has been posting so much about it. Um, but there was one, one officer who stood up for it and he got defected in the military mm -hmm. because he was standing up for um, other, Filipino, uh, other Filipinos for the way that they were being treated. And so... You know, to me, I think like one of the things that I've been sitting with and what's been coming up for me is as a Filipino American, as a Philippinex, like we need to stand up and we need to use our voices because our black communities have been there for us throughout history, helping us find a voice, helping us shape a voice, helping us like be more human in the eyes of of Western and American uh, cultures throughout history, which 
I think we need to honor that. I mean, not I think, I, we, I know that we need to honor that as, as Filipino Americans. Mm. So you, right at the beginning of that, like ladled out a bunch of things at once. <laughs> I'm a very complex woman. She is. Happy pride, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to determine where, you know, the best place to jump in, you know, is as far as just digging down even deeper into what the topic of, of race and the just, I guess, be, being in your body as you're embracing and trying to figure out how to navigate your own status and your own history and your own culture and everything amidst what's going on, you had shared with me that some of the struggles you were having went back to um, being what is referred to as third culture. Can mm-hmm. you, can we go off on that a little bit? Can we talk about just what that means? Can you explain that for listeners and then talk about how that's impacted you in your life personally? Yeah. So by definition, third culture kids are individuals who are or were as children raised in a culture other than their parents or the culture of their country or nationality and live in such an environment during a significant part of their early developmental years. So the way that I make sense of that for myself and my own journey is that I I really identify with this idea of third culture because my parents are um, immigrants. They moved here from the Philippines while my mom was eight months pregnant and moved to New York because, you know, they they wanted the American dream. They wanted opportunity. They wanted to be able to give their family something more, more than what they had in the Philippines. And so for me, what happened growing up and my experience growing up in kind of the the two different cultures, I, w- I was basically trapped between two cultures. Here I am being raised by my Filipino um, immigrant parents in their traditional cultural views. Um, and it was very, like when I say traditional, I mean, it was like very traditional. It was like bring, bringing the shit from the Philippines over to America. In addition to that, my brother and sister who are 10 and eight years older than me were also raised in the Philippines. I actually didn't meet them until I was like, I think 10. Like my, my, my vivid memories of them weren't until I was like 10 years old, mainly because they live in the Philippines. Um, the times when I supposedly visit, visited to the Philippines to go like hang with them was like what short and I was like two and four. So like my memories are very, there are not very many significant core memories of me and my siblings when I was like little up until 10. So in terms of that, like I basically was split in between two cultures. Here I am um, being raised by my Filipino immigrant parents and also trying to assimilate and create and uh, live under some American Western values, and then also trying to make up some of my own. Like, what do I do with these two different cultures that I don't quite identify with completely being American and their ways of thinking, at least, you know, as I'm developing my fucking like brain of thought and beliefs, you know, whatever, like as a young woman, young girl, I'm like, well, you know, it's some of the ways that like I'm witnessing Americans act uh, through media and culture and society or whatever is not really one that I can relate to. I Um, also feel that way. (laughs) 
comes for yeah. next year. I'm like, oh, yeah, that doesn't you know? sit well with me. I don't yeah. want that. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, family is so deeply rooted in, in um, Filipino cultures and in a lot of Asian cultures, this idea of like family, community and unity and, and, and it's, it's you choose your family or you choose nobody kind of a mentality, which is really hard. Um, and also there's some beauty in that too, right? Like family is always going to be there no matter what. And so while my parents had some of these really amazing beliefs and amazing values in terms of family, loving each other, really fucking being there and being really resilient. I also didn't believe in some of the other shit that they were telling me, which was like, sadly, like based on um, theories that were passed down to them by colonial beliefs, right? Like I remember growing up and some of the things that were really difficult for me to hear were my parents telling me to come inside and stop playing outside in the sun because I would get darker. Mm -hmm. And if I would be darker or if my skin color would get darker, I would look like people who worked in the fields. And in their perspective, that was not good because then you look like a laborer, right? And you, you have darker skin color, which means you're less than. You're not as um, privileged as those who have whiter skin or lighter skin in the Filipino culture. Filipino culture um, in the traditional Filipino culture, and it's probably still, you know, it's, it's probably still around even now, but they really loved the mestiza Filipinos, which were, um, which are the mix of Spanish blood and heritage. Mm -hmm. And so because you have that, you know, mixture of indigenous like Filipino roots and then Spanish blood, like in the colonial mindset, which was what, what my parents were raised in, that was the more privileged, that was the more looked upon, that was the more acceptable, um, like look or because they had lighter skin because they had lighter skin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, I mean, you know, not to go too back in history, but also to kind of drop some knowledge here, like the Philippines were colonized by the Spaniards in the 1500s. Um, and I'm just learning this actually today. Um, the history of the Filipino ancestral culture started off almost like 700,000 years ago. So we have a shit ton of history. Like the first uh, human people who landed in the, the, in the mm -hmm. Philippine islands was from a while back. Yeah. And so it's kind of amazing to a know that like there is no history because our Spanish colonizers decided to burn all of our fucking books and all of our documentations and history. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to know that the identity of the Filipino culture was based on um, colonial, colonial views. And for those who are, you know, working on trying to, and a term that I've just come to like learn in 2018, but for those who are trying to decolonize themselves and decolonize their beliefs, like they are trying to unravel these belief systems that were passed down from them that were actually originated from Western culture, like Western European Spanish culture, right? Mm. Um, and what was once that I thought was just a religious belief and it is to a certain degree, I didn't actually realize it was a colonized belief. Yeah. You know? And so my parents, like some of the things that I remember uh, experiencing as a young girl till roughly about 10 or 11, when I started speaking up and saying, this isn't fucking right. I don't like this <laughs> was um, being scrubbed down with like whitening soap or papaya soap to whiten my skin. Um, and you know, when you're a kid and you're playing out in the sun, like I'm sorry, you want to make love to the sun. And I'm a, I'm a fucking island girl. You're going to tell an island girl to not be in the sun. Like yeah. that's kind of 
the opposite of what oh yeah well <laughs> like, and it's, it's, it's always thing. it's always cracked me up that like I mean, all these different cultures, I mean, Asian cultures too. Like I remember being in Japan and like, we, I mean, we were in the Philippines, like we've been to all these places and seeing all of these like skin whitening products. And then you come over to the U S and everyone is fucking obsessed with being tan. Everyone just right. wants to be more tan. We all want to spray right. tan our cellulite because tan fat is better than white fat. And like, there's all this <laughs> shit about not being white over here. Everyone just wants to be bronze, like a, yeah. an Island goddess. Yeah. And you're walking around like an Island goddess and your mom is scrubbing you down with a rock yeah. to make you look yeah. more white. Like it, it's crazy to me. It was, it was, I mean, it was one of those things where I was just like, I just don't understand. You're going to be doing this your whole entire lifetime. Ironic. This is my skin yeah, color, you know? And, and again, it's, like, I mean, the, I think one of the saddest parts to me is that my mom didn't know why she was doing it. She was mm -hmm. just taught, right? It yeah. was just passed down that like the idea of mestiza is far more privileged and better than being dark, you know, like in order to fit in, you, you need to be lighter and all this other shit. It's deep, really and, deep. um, it's really fucking deep because I remember asking them why, why would you do this? They're like, because mm -hmm. it, it was just like a, just because you just do it. Like they didn't yeah. even really know history wise why. And one of the other things that my mom used to do, which really fucking pissed me off, um, was to like pinch my nose, like the bridge yeah. of my nose to try to make it pointier. Yeah. And I love my nose. You have an amazing and nose. So <laughs> when she did that, I was like, I really like my nose. Like I like all these things about me. Why are you doing this? And that was ultimately the start of the battle between beliefs and differences of what I was being raised by and what I wanted to be, like who I wanted to be and what I wanted to value, what I wanted to believe in myself. I hated being told that my dark brown skin was something that was not acceptable or something that needed to change because it was one that I just felt like this is me. I am, I am the darkest child out of the three kids you're yeah. going to ask me to be different. I, I don't know if I can be different. I'm sorry. Like that's just yeah. not something I can do, nor is it something I want to do, mm. you know? So like, sadly, I think because of that, and also there are some other things that were being taught to me um, without, and I've been, I've been sitting on the thought of like compulsive beliefs these days, right? Like what are the compulsive beliefs that we are being taught um, as a society, as a culture, as human beings, because we don't know any better. And whether they're systemic beliefs, great, fine, let's not label it, but they're compulsive because they're being taught to us without thought, without actually introspection and asking ourselves, do we want to believe in this, right? Yeah. So one thought that my dad, I remember had with me and things that he would sh share with me was like, I don't care who you get married to, just don't get married to a black man. Mm. And, you know, like, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. no, like, that's, uh, I'm not accepting that. Thank you. I love you. Um, and we need to have a discussion. And also trying to have a discussion with that culture when they're not open, when they're not ripe, when they're not ready to hear it mm. is probably the most difficult thing. And for your Filipino-American listeners out there, they probably are nodding their heads going, mm -hmm, yep, mm -hmm, we know. It's really hard because it's deeply rooted in culture and generational, like, just DNA in, in their body and not realizing why. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting is, as I mean, as you're saying that, I think that for 
people who are trying their best to be woke right now, like that, that's extremely true of white and black as well. Especially like I was raised in the South, you know, where even though I was raised by loving like Christian parents who very much would not consider themselves to be racist, you know, they, as I'm becoming more educated and as I'm looking at all of the ways in which microaggression and, you know, especially like how toxic white feminism and all of these things kind of present, you know, again, coming from that completely unconscious, trained from the cradle without thought kind of place where, you know, I mean, I remember my parents having conversations where they're like, oh, the color of skin, like, doesn't matter. I actually spent several years um, growing up in a black neighborhood where we were the only white family. And so because of that, I think my parents were very much like, oh, we're not racist. Like we live in a black, you know, neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. But there were still these things instilled in us where it's like, oh, when you're driving through a certain neighborhood, like nothing is named. It's just, oh, if you're driving through that part of town, you lock your doors. Or if you're doing this, you do this. And it's just that kind of thing that they don't even realize what they're saying by saying that. And they don't realize what they're perpetuating by teaching that. So I definitely, I'm relating just to what you're saying. I think a lot of people probably as they're getting into this work right now, if it, if it is the first time, or even if it's a continuation, it's kind of like, holy shit, like it, it runs so much deeper than we want to t- believe, than we want to see because, you know, it, it means that we've been participating or unknowingly complicit for much longer than any of us would, would yeah. also want to accept about ourselves. Yeah. 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 I mean. I know for me, I resisted a lot of the anti-blackness and anti-darkness that my parents uh, bestowed upon me. Mm-hmm. But what held me back was the, well, okay, so my skin is this, which means I'm less than and I'm not enough. Mm. That's where it held me back. Mm. And that's where, you know, I would look at, you know, um, white people with having more privilege because mm-hmm. they do. I mean, like, no, they, they do. do. No, they still do. It doesn't matter if you're Filipino American, like a straight up white person still has more privilege than has more a mixed. Privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. However, what that didn't, what that did to me was then it made me feel like I didn't even have the power to try. Mm. And I didn't even have the voice of reason to even put myself in a situation or believe in myself enough to say, you know what? Like I actually deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. I fucking deserve to be here. Yeah. And that was, um, that was hard, right? Like that, that's also, that's also part of my cultural shit and my cultural shaming that I need to unweave and I need to re- like, remember that I am actually here for a fucking reason. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, I'm here and I'm here because I'm chosen for this particular thing. Not because, not because of anything else, but because of me. Right. And yeah. it's so difficult because, you know, one, like that, that belief is so instilled in me of, well, you know what? Some your your opportunities are gonna get passed up because you're 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 still you're still a brown girl, mm. and and you shouldn't step up to the plate because um you probably won't get a seat anyways. So yeah, go ahead and try, but like, but like don't expect too much because yeah, you'll be disappointed yeah, probably. Yeah, you know, that kind like, of like prepared to be disappointed thing. Right, that kind of mentality, and then also you know what what's actually interesting, what's coming up for me in this moment as we're we're talking is also my mom, whenever I would, whenever I would get successful moments and, and okay, <laughs> Asian parents love, 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 love when their kids are super fucking accomplished. They just love it. Why? Because they're proving that they can actually be more than, but it's a constant battle of constantly fucking performing and outperforming yourself over and over and over again. So the pressure of being better than you were before is like, so much harder for immigrant for immigrant backgrounds it really fucking is like we are constantly proving ourselves 
that we're enough and it is tiring and exhausting. Yeah. So along these lines and something you said just a second ago about feeling uh, the need to, I forget exactly exactly what we said because mom brain is a thing, but basically feeling the need to like downplay things and feeling like you weren't worthy of having that stuff and suppressing. Uh, I kind of want to, I want to tell on Joe guys for you who are sitting here because this woman, what you may, this may be the first time you're meeting her or the first time that you are being introduced to her or her work. But I guarantee you that you've seen her before. Like when you see her picture, you're going to be like, oh, she's kind of familiar. This woman has done brand collaborations with some of the biggest names out there right now. Um, and I'm going to let you name them off, but I know that some of them were like Adidas and Muscle Milk and, you know, all these different ones. And, and you also had shared a story with me not that long ago about an experience uh, with working with Visco. And I kind of mm. wanted to just like jump off the deep end now and like get into yeah. how all of these things, like how you've been suppressing like your accomplishments and all of this stuff and how your identity and this kind of search for like enoughness within both of the, the cultures that contribute to who you are, you know, how that has played out in your professional life and, and what that evolution has looked like. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, first off, like, it's interesting, like I was saying about, you know, Asian culture, and I'll, I'll back that up a little bit and just talk about the, my Filipino culture, because I don't want to generalize and speak yeah. on somebody else's experience. But in my Filipino upbringing, my mom was very much so like, you need to get this, you need to get A's, you need to do this, you need to, you need to fucking prove yourself, you better prove yourself that you're good enough to like yeah. stand there. And she never said that you need to prove yourself good enough to stand next to a white person. But it's, it was just this, like, you need to prove yourself that you're like, getting yeah. things well, right because you're in america now so that's who you're going to be up against whenever you go into the workforce probably, and whatever. like definitely yeah. for sure right like that's probably what they were taught that's probably what they were told and my mom was the first uh one out of actually she's the only one out of all her nine siblings to actually leave the philippines and come to america so mm-hmm. you know my mom is also very alone and I love her so much, um, but you know she's stuck in her old ways, and she's she's isolated, and I feel really really bad for her because the perspectives of what she has is an echo chamber of also other immigrant mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. So you know my mom was very much so you need to go prove yourself. But the moment I fucking got something really fucking cool or like really accomplished, it was like mm, stop being so boastful. Oh. <laughs> don't 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 like don't pay don't bring too much attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't be so boastful. Be be proud of what you do, but don't acknowledge it. You know, like like be proud that you did that, but you don't have to tell like people. Be the best, you, but then when you're the best, don't tell it. Don't celebrate yeah, it. Don't and celebrate don't, the hard yeah. fucking work that you did <laughs> right, to get like, there. Get there. And it was such a confusing mm-hmm. message because, you know, when I think about like in my career space, when I think about, you know, the people who were very highly accomplished and also very proud of their accomplishments, uh, a lot of them happened to be lighter skin and happened to be white, right? Yeah. And so it was like, well, you know, you get this confusing like mixture of like, can I actually talk about my accomplishments or not? Or are they valid to share this in this space or not? And, um, you know, when I when I started working at Visco, I was uh, transitioning from my career as a ten-year hairstylist, and even in my years as a hairstylist, um, I was also a I was part of a creative team on a hair care company called Rusk, and I was traveling around the U.S. and teaching hair cutting techniques and color techniques on stage. And so, even in that position, I was asked to be in that position 
fresh out of beauty school, which is not something that they normally do. So they saw something in me in terms of talent and skill, um, but I couldn't see it in myself because I was taught not to see it in myself, right? Like I was taught that, you know, good luck and, and, and luck doesn't happen for people. Like you have to work hard. So even the mentality of long, hard fucking work is like what was also instilled in me too, right? And so when I left my, um, when I was transitioning between careers, the CEO of Visco, his name is Joel Flory. He was not only our wedding photographer, a great friend, and also uh, I used to do his wife's hair, but he knew that one of the biggest things that I did for my career as a hairstylist was build a shit ton of clientele based on social media that wasn't even really social media at the time. I mean, we had MySpace and 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 Yelp was really my platforms to build my career. And I was known back then as I cut hair. So not only was like, I was just really clever with naming. <laughs> like, I mean, you're going to go to a hairstylist who identifies herself on fucking social media as I, I cut, cut hair. hair. Yeah. Like how clear is that of what she does? Right. Brand messaging is right on point. <laughs> Right on point. And so, you know, he hired me to be director of community um, for his company because he knew that I knew people based on my experience as a hairstylist. And then also in terms of shaping communities online, it was just something that I organically knew how to do. Um, and one of the things that I like remember feeling a bit of a conflict of when I worked at Visco was the fact that I was one of the first female managers there. I mean, granted, I was probably also employee 12 or 15. So it was a very baby company before what it is now. Um, And so startup, super startup. I was also chosen to be the first female on that team, which was incredible and amazing. And my CEO, he's still my CEO, even though I don't work there. Um, (laughs) Joel Flory has always been a person who's believed in diversity and inclusion. And I felt very lucky to be part of a company, especially in the tech startup space, that set the foundation of diversity and inclusion right off the fucking bat. I mean, they put a woman in the seat of higher like management and they had people of color on their C-suite already from the beginning of this company. And so I know exactly what it feels like to be chosen as a, as a, as a female voice and as a woman of color and as somebody who has strength in a position that can shape change and culture in a company and not just culture within the company, but the culture of the community that the company is building because that ultimately was my fucking role. And so the crazy thing about that was, and I'm thinking back at a time when GoFitJo started while I was working at Visco. And when GoFitJo started while I was working at Visco, I never actually cross-pollinated the identities online for a very long time because I was already getting shit from people online and them saying, well, the reason why GoFitJo is picking up is because you work at Visco. And I was like, dude, can I just like, can I just like have an identity of just my own that has nothing to do with my accomplishments or who I work for or what I work for or what I do? Like this is just, yeah. this well, what's, me. what's so interesting though, is that for people who say that, like for people who say stuff like that, those accomplishments are your own, like the success you had at Visco. Like even if you were picking up because of your work at Visco, your work at Visco was your work. Like you were chosen to be there before they were anything. You turned your role and your position and what you're doing into something. So if you are making it off of your blog and that is piggybacking your work at Visco, it is still something generated by you 
So in a way that is a roundabout extreme compliment from people whose heads are stuck really far up their ass and they just don't even understand like what they're actually saying. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I wish you were around back, back then. I when wish I, was I had it too. Those. I'd have been like, listen here. <laughs> I wish, I wish you were my friend back then. It would have been amazing for me because what it did was it actually shamed mm-hmm. me back into like hiding. Yeah. You know, of just feeling like it, it kind of triggered the feeling of like, well, okay, I shouldn't talk about the yeah. fact that I am also director here. Yeah. Like and I've worked really hard to get this thing, but it's not safe for me to like celebrate me to that or tell anyone. That. And then mm-hmm. also like that was so difficult because for me as a female manager, like I'm already feeling fucking imposter syndrome. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a female fucking boss here yeah. and I'm also women in color, a, a woman in color. So let me like unravel all those fucking cultural things mm. to know that I'm chosen here. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think you mentioned earlier about like the brand stuff that I've, I've, I've had accomplished in the past. And, you know, I remember one of the first um, brands that did a collaboration with me while I was still working at Visco was Muscle Milk. And we did a story called The Everyday Athlete. And it was about a story of a woman who um, just wanted to get her health back to be the, an example of a woman for her daughters. How could I demand strength and honor from out of my girls if I wasn't doing that for myself? Like, how could I do that? And so that was the start of my wellness journey. And I thought it was just so beautiful because they saw me as a story. They saw me for me. And um, it was one that was that highlighted probably the the most authentic and rawness of my um, story back then you know, in the start of it all. And, and still, like when I watched that video, actually, I was watching it a couple of days ago, just to kind of bring things back and into perspective of like, or maybe how far I've gone. yeah, I was like, wow, this is, this is still who I am. This is mm-hmm. still so much of my identity of like still showing up and still doing these things and, and you know, whatnot. And so it's been interesting. It's been interesting to be in this space, I think, where social media is driving a lot of our marketing these days and it's driving a lot of our advertising dollars and we obviously know that that's where community is at right they're all on social media and in the beginning in 2016 I remember thinking to myself like wow like you know this is really cool like I am just a woman I never ever at the time ever actually looked at myself as being Filipino American I never actually wanted to label myself as Filipino American because I ran so far away from my cultural viewpoints and the viewpoints that were passed down to my parents by colonial perspectives that I didn't want to identify with my own culture. And I didn't want to be called a Filipino American woman, even though that's what my identity marker was, because I didn't want those fucking beliefs to be something that I carried on as a label either. Um... And it was uh, interesting because in 2018, so like, you know, just throughout this time that I've been in the online space as a blogger, as a wellness influencer, whatever the fuck that is, um, it's been interesting to see changes there. And also, like, I never actually intentionally meant to become an influencer or a wellness blogger or any of that stuff. Like, GoFitJoe all started off from a hashtag. GoFitJoe all started off with me sharing my personal journey of trying to cope with anxiety and depression as I was going through a journey of self-discovery, of figuring out who I wanted to be in my 30s. Like it was, I was 29 when I started that journey and I was like, you know what, I need, I don't know who the fuck I am and I'm heading to my 30s and if I don't know who the fuck I am, I better figure this shit out because I don't know if I like any of the identities that I'm carrying on my back. 
right now. So that brings us to kind of full circle back to something else you shared earlier, very briefly. Um, she very, very smoothly threw in, you know, the word poly, and then we popped right back out and went into something else. And I think when we're talking about, you know, discovering ourselves and this, this, the self-discovery journey, and, you know, we try on a lot of different things. Like, especially I think as you get older, you start to realize that things are not as black and white, you know, that is not meant to be a pun, but like literally like they're not, these are not as binary. They're not as binary Mm -hmm. and things are a lot more fluid and there is a lot more, I think you also, as you're coming into your own and you kind of start taking autonomy of your life, you understand that you get to fucking change your mind if you want to, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, that's a thing where before you feel like, and it's kind of, it's bred into us through our structures, through school and like the pressure to, you know, choose your, your focus when you get to college. And then when you get out of college, you have to do the thing that you went to college for and then blah, 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 blah. Like it goes on and on and on these sets of rules and boxes. You got to get up on that re- relationship escalator and exactly. the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would love to just hear your experience with that because you, you've only recently, I mean, within the last two years stepped into that space. And as it is pride month and this is a safe space for for, for all peoples to come to. I, I would love for you to share about that piece of your identity and how it's been emerging and, and what that experience has been like for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been interesting, right? So um, I'll get into that for sure. But like just, just roping mm-hmm. around the whole brand yeah. stuff, like yeah. I've, I've seen it evolve too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I never really realized until my community was bringing it up to me was them saying, holy fuck, you are one of the few Filipino Americans that I've seen in the wellness space pioneering it in the way that you do. Mm. Thank you for being a voice for our people. And I'm like sitting there going, oh, you didn't realize you were. Yeah. I didn't realize I was. And also, I also, you know, it's a privilege and a responsibility to have that type of platform and to have that type of accolade or acknowledgement. And I don't take that shit lightly. Yeah. Like if people are going to say to me, I see myself in you, I'm going to fucking show up with full integrity and do my job as being myself so that other people can say, fuck, I want to, I can, if she can do it, if she's a daughter of immigrants, then I can do that too. Like I can also do that too. You know, it sounds like that was a really poignant piece in you owning your heritage was when you were like, I'm not even really out here trying to speak for Filipino people, but when they came forward and like, Hey, thanks for showing up. And you're like, Oh shit, I guess I need to be more intentional about this. Like I need to really take pride in this and I need to really be intentional about showing yeah, up this way. Yeah, it was uh, 2018 actually. So I I was uh, I was in Gap's Gap Body Love campaign um, and I was there, I, I was in this particular campaign. So my boobs in 2018, 19, I think are like all over Gap stories for like a brief season, nice. uh, which is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh shit, my titties, are, boobs. titties are all over America. <laughs> That's also going to be the start of my sexual revolution since everyone sees my titties. Is that going to be your, uh, your memoir? <laughs> titties all <laughs> over America. <laughs> titties all over America. Um, but that was the first time that somebody was like, I I think that you're the only Filipino American that's in print at Gap. Mm. I don't know if there has been other full-blooded Filipino Americans that have done that before. And I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, I should probably Google this and also know my history, but you know, like it wasn't important to me. And the reason why it was never important to me was because I wanted to see, I wanted people to see me as a human first before they Mm. saw me as my cultural background. Mm. 
I am a human who happens to be Filipino American. That is like, that is how I want you to view me because I want you to see me for my humanity first, not my race, not my background, not my cultural heritage. Those are important. They're, they're identity markers for sure. But I am fucking human just like you. And yeah. if you can see the humanity in me, then you can see the humanity in yourself, right? So I think that's one of the main reasons why I never identified with a label mm-hmm. because I didn't want to be boxed in. I wanted to be able to move freely through the boxes of life because I knew that for yeah. me, that was what was better for me. So that was like kind of like the first kind of identity marker. And then through like 2018, you know, was also the exploration of just like female pleasure or sexuality. We've talked mm-hmm. about this in yeah. countless conversations. Um, and one, one of which is coming to a podcast episode <laughs> near you very soon. <laughs> and one that we recently or I recently came out with on my podcast was talking about polyamory. And my exploration in polyamory, which is a non-binary and non-conventional and typical way of loving, um, it is when two or more, um, it's, it's when or more, it's when a person has two or more uh, intimate, deeply romantic relationships. And that is what I'm currently experiencing in this lifetime and in this moment. And that's what I currently identify with. I currently identify with being polyamorous. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations on whether that is a sexual orientation or a lifestyle. Um, and it's all dependent on who you talk to, which is what identity is, right? Like identity is up to the all person. subjective. Yeah. <laughs> it's up to the person. It's not up to what you fucking think. It's up mm-hmm. to the person of what they identify with. And so one of the shoes that I'm trying on in this moment and it feels really good for me right now, is I'm a queer, poly, um, Filipino-American woman. It's a long one. It's a complex one. Um, But I feel like it's the most fullest version of myself in this moment uh, as I'm in the closet. Yes, (laughs) I'm in the closet. She's physically sitting in the closet talking about all the ways in which... As I'm physically in the closet speaking about my queer theories on love oh and identity. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one that I'm, I'm really feeling proud to actually say. And it's taken me a while to like be able to identify with that because, you know, you don't know if you're able to. You don't know if you can be proud. You don't know if you're, you know, like, I mean, the idea of polyamory is going against my parents' perspectives of Catholicism. Yeah. And every fucking religious perspective. Yeah. Right. And the perspective of colonialism and, and patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and also like in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of a belief system that our Filipino indigenous culture, if you think back way back then have always had, mm. you know, polyamory stems from the idea of communities and, you know, we were fucking a bunch of communities before we were societies and cultures in the way that we look at them in modern day society. Right. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I finally came home by being able to identify as a queer poly Filipino American. So long. I mean, it is. We should probably figure out a way to like shorten it in a zesty, zappy way. I mean, uh, it's so long, but I also, I mean, so is woman in progress, which is is. also what I identify with because I think, you know, like, Life is nonlinear. Like life is not about A to B. Life is not about putting things in a box. Life is about experiencing it to its full exuberance and being able to shape who you are in that experience as you're experiencing life. And if we do not allow people to experience themselves in their bodies, in their fullest expression, then what the fuck are we doing? 
that's my sound clip right there. So just <laughs> put a little snap in there so I know to cut that out. <laughs> like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, oh like, God. I don't, I don't get what we're yeah. doing here if we don't allow for yeah. that. Right? Well, it's so, it's so interesting because I, I mean, I, I have to believe I'm not, I'm not speaking to it because it isn't my experience and I don't know anything about it, but I have to believe that men are also faced with this, but it just because of the way, you know, hashtag patriarchy is set up. I do feel like for women, especially it is really hard to get out of the things that have been kind of opposed on, you know, set up for us, put out for us. And it's, it's so interesting to me that it makes people so uncomfortable when you change your mind, even about the smallest things. It's like, I remember, I mean, I joke with my husband all the time that I literally recreate myself every seven years, you know, every five to seven years, like every cell in your body has turned or turned over by that point. And you are technically a different person than you were seven years ago, every seven years. Like that yeah. is a thing. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I mean, like I changed my favorite color, you know, like I, I know people who still, their favorite color is still the color that it was when I knew them in like the sixth grade or seventh grade or whatever. And like good on them. But the other day, like Mike's grandmother, you know, texted him and was like, Hey, like what does Kristen say? favorite color. And he was like, Oh, it's red. And I was like, no, it's not. And he's like, favorite color is not red. And I was like, no, it's like that deep goldenrod, like mustard yellow. That's like oh, my the, favorite the color. I'm yeah. That you're wearing right now. right now. I'm like, that is my favorite color right now. And he's like, when did that happen? I was like, I don't know, but I really love it. And that's like my favorite color. I was like before red, my favorite color is blue. And before that it was purple. And for that, who knows what it was, but I have changed it multiple times because I get to, I, you get, know, I get to, <laughs> but it makes so people uncomfortable. They're like, that's the thing I really felt sure about you. And now I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. And, and, you know, I think I, it's, it's interesting. So I hadn't, I, again, this week was fucking hard for everybody. Yeah. I'm going to acknowledge that again, over and over again. Um, but I had my 10 year old Olivia write me a note. Cause I was like, mm -hmm. I need a note from you. I need some love, like pure love. Like not to say that my friends and people like you don't give me pure love, but right. like when you get it from a 10 year old who has no fucking biases. No, all, yeah. No her. fucking agenda. No, no like, agenda yeah, except absolutely. to just give love. It's just yep. love. So she proudly wrote me this note in pastel rainbow. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we, we allow for space for her to explore her, you know, sexuality and her identity. Like we don't put any markers on anything at the moment in terms of, we're not even asking her, do you like any boys? I, that's just a conversation yeah. we just don't want to have for us. It's like, do you have any interest in people? Yeah. <laughs> do you, is who there any your friends right now? Who yeah, makes you, you very know, happy? Like, yeah. Who do you want to spend happy. more time with? Yeah. Who are you talking to? You know, we don't want to, we don't want to add that binary thought in her because she can change her mind. And I also don't want her to feel like she, she just has to pick something in this moment. Mm-hmm. So anyways, she wrote me this like thing in this beautiful pastel, like literally every line is like different rainbow color. And I asked her, I'm like, out of curiosity, why is, why are the rainbows? Like, why is rainbow your favorite color? <laughs> it's your favorite color. Is what <laughs> yeah, it's rainbow. Yeah. It's rainbow. And she goes, well, because you don't have to pick a color. You don't. And like, what would life be like if you only could have a favorite color of like yellow in that moment? I mean, everything would be yellow and that's too much yellow. Yeah. <laughs> Why not have all the colors to choose from? Because it depends on your mood. It depends on the things that you're going to do. And I just was like, oh my God, dear child. Like from I, the mouths of babes. That's, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was really amazing. And, and, you know, like it's interesting because the idea of, of, you know, just queer theories in general, our, our country was built 
our fucking revolution was built by black and brown people fighting for fucking queer theories of love at Stonewall, you know, back in the 60s. And we're fucking here again. Yeah. We're, we're right here again, trying to fight against the same liberation that we fought back in the 60s and 70s. And who led that fucking charge yeah. back then? And who's yeah. leading that charge now? Which is wild to me that it's happening in the month of June. I'm getting chills as I'm saying that because history is repeating itself. And it's so, it's, it's a really, really beautiful, I think. Like, I'm, Last week, if you asked me how I felt about this, I would have said I'm really fucking scared right now. And I, yeah. and I still am. There's still a lot of fear that's, that's still valid and, and still present for me. But I'm also very excited because there is a real large revolution happening. Yeah. And one of the things that was different, and, and I can probably be corrected on this, and if somebody else, whoever's listening, can correct me, please. I'm so Shoot open us a DM. Let us know. Us DM, <laughs> Educate us. Know. us. Yeah. Yeah, please. It's so welcome in this space. Yeah. Um, but there's a different uprising from the, from the youth and a strong one. Mm-hmm. And I see it in my daughter, my daughter who's 16. I see it in her. And I see this whole, like, mom, like, nobody wants to be known as, like, non-binary this or that. Like, people don't want to be labeled a certain yeah. sexuality identity marker or whatever anymore. And I'm like, okay, so what do I say? And she was like, you ask. They're just people you ask what's up. You ask yeah. them, like how they want to be identified with. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it had me thinking about just like where we're at right now and what we need to do in our generation of, of how to shape our minds mm-hmm. and how to look at that in a way of how do we really what, what questions do we need to ask ourselves about identity and what are the things that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially in this current climate? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's really prevalent that we're fucking stuck in the same cycle. Well, the, the, the quote that keeps coming or the thought that keeps coming up for me, and I, I don't remember who said it, but it's just that whole concept of the lesson will continue to appear until the lesson has been learned kind of thing. And like, when it comes down to this conversation, like the lesson has not fucking been learned. Like if anything, it has been perpetuated and been made worse, like, Mm -hmm. you know, over time. And it's finally, finally, finally come to just like a fucking like bursting point. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think, yes, that's scary. It's terrifying. I think anybody who was a part of anything that has been labeled a revolution in the past was definitely scared when it was happening. But I think there's also hope that comes with revolution. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one of the things that like I'm sitting with these days, a lot with these days is thinking about thinking about like my career at Visco and thinking about my experience there as being part of the diversity inclusion team and how important that was for me as a woman of color to just also just, you know, be a voice of what it means to actually have diversity and inclusion in a, in a tech company Mm -hmm. and, and having those conversations early on in my career space also allowed me to have those questions within myself of like, what is diversity and inclusion? Mm -hmm. And as I get hired for some of these brand projects when I've worked with Adidas or Gap or whatever, and you know, some of the smaller brands, and I know that larger companies are thinking about this already because they have to, because they, yeah. they're larger, they're larger brands and they need to think about this on that level. Well, and unfortunately there's legal ramifications if they don't, it's not even because they're like, they've all woken up. It's because they can get sued and stuff. There's some for legal not doing stuff. That. And also, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of, um, you're, 
your your company's DNA. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're going to talk about a company's identity, like how is diversity and inclusion woven in the DNA of your company, right? And so one of the things that I've been grappling with, I think, ever since getting really picked up by a bunch of different brands is, am I the token woman of color or am I the chosen woman of color mm-hmm. on this yeah. campaign? Because, yeah. you know, one of the things that I know has been a hot word for a lot of people is diversity. Yeah. Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to market and we're trying to like have a diverse like campaign. And I say that with a grain of salt. And I also say that shaking my fucking head because I'm like, diversity does not start at your fucking campaign level. Diversity starts in the DNA of your company yeah. culture. Well, and we also diversify our p- portfolios. You know what I mean? Like that very specific word, the fact they choose that word instead of inclusion or equality or whatever is, has always been interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I think it's, 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 it's one of those things that's hard because yeah. in my position, what I experience is the inner conflict also of, okay, you mentioned the revolution and hope, right? So Mm -hmm. I also feel like I'm somebody who's like, you know what? Okay. You know, I'm going to have hope for people that they're actually choosing right. And that they are choosing from a place of love and they are choosing with intention. Um, And I want to believe that I do, because I do believe that there are some brands are going to try to make the smallest of of the changes as they possibly can, which is to start, you know, putting, put, putting other women of color in their campaign because their communities are screaming diversity and, and the entire culture and human population is saying, I don't see myself in any of these campaigns. Mm-hmm. So we are starting to see that, which is really fucking awesome. Right. It's really great. But also it's like, you have to almost like question, wait, are you just, are you just filling a slot? Yeah. Are you, are you putting me in a slot or have you chosen me because this is actually what you really believe in? Mm-hmm. Because my values are based on diversity and inclusion, because that's what the foundation I believe in as a woman and also as a mom to my, like these two girls that I'm raising. And so if I believe that, like you better as a company also should align with that. Yeah. And the conflict sits in me where it's like, well, they're also kind of doing their part also, I think. Yeah. You know, so I think now with the the current climate of things, like, And with, you know, one of the problems that I've seen actually as like recently coming out as a queer poly Filipino American is a major drop in my brand um, sponsorships and collaborations these days. Mm. Now it's hard to say what it's from. Yeah. I was like, which, which part of your list of uh, things is, (laughs) is causing this issue? Do you think? It's it's really hard to say because, Mm. you know, I've always been, as a woman of color, I've always gotten a lot of fucking brand work. Yeah. And so, you know, how like, kind of like thinking? You feel like it has wait, to be the poly because everything else, everything you know, else is, was, has always been acceptable. That has always everything been. Everything else was, yeah, part of yeah. something that they needed to fill a slot in. Yeah. Right? Um, and something that like, and, and again, there, there are brands that I've worked with that have, that I know like diversity inclusion, I know firsthand it is part of their DNA. Yeah. 100%. Um, and there are some opportunities where I'm like, you know what? Okay. I'm going to show up because there's also an audience that needs to see that this is possible too. Mm-hmm. So there's that like fine line between hope yeah. and what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, now I do wonder like, is it because I'm queer and mm-hmm. they don't know what to do with me now? 
Uh, you've yeah. also, you know, I was at one point the acceptable woman of color because I have a family and I very have very traditional yeah, family. You have girls. It's like sweet looking thing. Yeah. Uh, even though I looked different, I you look edgy, but you are thing. safe. Yeah. Right. Like I had the safe things that people were accepted, like were were acceptable. And now here's, here's me saying, well, guess what guys, I want to love a different way. And guess what guys, it actually is far fucking better for my mental health. Yeah. And so much better to be out in the fucking public about this than being in the closet. Yeah. I mean, this was something that I have been exploring all of 2019 with. And also 2019 was my largest revenue year. Yeah on brand partnerships. And, you know, you're like, yes. I was queer. You just didn't know. So what is the, like, what is the difference? I'm closet, still getting you your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. didn't, I just, I needed to make sure that this yeah. was also something that I was safe enough to come mm-hmm. forth and share with my kids before it came out publicly on any other space. Yeah. And then, you know, like the last couple months after coming out, like, our community, at least the GoFitJoe community, has like warmly welcomed this perspective in ways I never imagined. And yes, I've gotten backlash, which I imagined to get, but I never, never amount like I never imagined the amount of love also mm. that was being thrown at me of just saying, like, this is so different. And though polyamory, like I can't imagine myself in that. Thank you for also showing us a healthy loving relationship. Yeah. Thank you for showing us what radical honesty looks like. Thank you for showing us that love can be a different way. And and I think one of the most healing messages for me was when this woman sent me a DM and she said, you know, my mom, my mom is in a relationship still with her boyfriend and my dad. And it never made sense to me mm-hmm. until you guys shared it on your podcast. And she just was like, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. She was just like, thank you for healing the adult child in me that never understood my mom. And now I can have conversations with her because I see it in somebody else. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, like if this is what it feels like to stand up in my own truth, like to stand up against things that are so binary and things that we're so not used to. If it's, if it's for one person to be able to make sense with her relationship with her mom. Yeah. Then fuck. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, and brands, brands be damned. Like this is a, this right now, this moment, like the stand you're taking as the fullest version of yourself, like you are demanding the deepest level of alignment and integrity in your whole life, like through every aspect of your life right now. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And I think that that is going to ripple throughout your business. Like that is going to change the quality and the impact of the collaborations that you do. I a hundred percent believe that. And you, I mean, you took it a step further than just recognizing this. And also, you know, I, I think it's really powerful the thought you voiced because I, I have to imagine if I am, you know, empathizing with the craziness that's going on, like while fully acknowledging that I cannot actually understand it. 
I think a lot of the black women and women of color who have suddenly, you know, they've been doing this work for years, being themselves and putting all this stuff out into the world. And they're suddenly like under the world's eye and people are following them and trying to get them to come work with them and all this stuff. And so that question, that looming question that you just posed so eloquently of like, am I a token or am I being chosen? Like I want to be chosen. I don't want to be a token. And you came up with um, basically core values and things that you are going to now require from brands who reach out to you in order um, to be in alignment and to work together. Would you mind sharing those with everyone that's listening? Yeah. So, I mean, these were questions to any future brands or companies or actually just even people who want to work with me. Um, I think you should make your friends apply also from now on. New friends. <laughs> You're like, here. Uh, new friends. Um, so, Here's my deck. You know, Well, I guess like, let me start off with what I believe in first. Um, I believe in inclusion and diversity. I believe in diversity of thoughts, ideas, beliefs, experiences, inclusion of people. I believe in inclusion of people, regardless of their race, sex, color, language, national origin, chosen family, religion, disabilities, sexual orientation, or age. So those are the things that I believe in. And these core values are going to be actually listed on my website as of tomorrow um, because I, I need it to be firm. And it's, it's, it's beliefs that I actually instill in my coaching with women. Um, and, I, and I share that when I coach them so that they know that these are my beliefs and that they feel safe no matter what their fucking perspectives are. They're safe with me because I, I can accept myself mm-hmm. and I want them to know that they can be accepted too. Um, and the questions that I have for future brands and a lot of this was like my thought about, you know, my, again, my experience and thinking back of my experience in the corporate tech world where we had a very diverse fucking team. And it was one that I was so proud to be on. Um, but the questions I'm asking moving forward are what percentage of the brand's leadership include women of color or minorities leadership team for those who don't know, include the C-suite and upper management leadership. This is important because diversity and inclusion is an internal job before it goes into the hands of marketing or brand campaigns. Like I said earlier, and like I've said multiple times, diversity and inclusion has to be woven into the DNA of your company. That's the only way it's gonna filter down into your marketing campaigns in a way that's intentional, in a way that feels right, in the way that is, Fuck, I, I like I hate using the word right, but it's just it's just for humanity. That's it. Yeah, a way that's not a contrived KPI, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what are your values and commitment to diversity, and where do you publish that information on your website? What steps has the brand or company taken to create more diversity and inclusion in their marketing campaigns? Are you actively creating a safe space for POC to lead uncomfortable conversations about race without it affecting their job security and position? What is the company or brand's general views on the LGBTQ plus community, if any? What mentorship programs do they offer to underprivileged youth LGBTQ plus individuals? And which nonprofits do you support at what dollar amounts, frequencies, and for how long? So those are going to be some just thought starters. Yeah. And, you know, I don't necessarily, again, like, 
like those are going to be the foundations, at least in terms of the, the questions I'm asking for brands and, and demanding answers around. And I also, I'm going to leave room and space for growth because this is going to be messy. And yeah. some brands for the very first time are, haven't ever fucking thought about this. And it's not because they were thinking one way was better than the other. They just never thought about this. Yeah. And that's also okay. That's also okay. I'm open to having messy conversations. However, I'm not here to educate people on how they should go about this. Um, that's, that's your job as a company and a brand and a marketing team to figure that out. But it's also your responsibility uh, amongst uh, humanity to also figure that out. Because if yeah. we don't, then you're fucking it up for my kids. And if you're fucking it up for my kids, we're going to have a problem. We're going to burn the world down, okay? <laughs> or this little feminist sister is going to yeah. come out. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, those, that's incredibly, those are incredibly powerful. And I, I appreciate, you know, the other piece that you mentioned on the end of that, just because I think it is going to be really important. I, I fully understand and acknowledge that at this moment in time, a lot of my listeners are most likely white. And I think that if you are, if you're here, I hope that means that you are the kind of person who is dedicated to doing the uncomfortable work and being messy and looking at yourself deeply first and, you know, not out there trying to educate other people before you have taken the log out of your own eye. Um, but I do think that it's important to note that, you know, just because you're just now waking up to this and a sense of urgency is really important, but I do think that this needs to be for the long haul. Like it, the, the damage is systemic. It is really deep. It is, it goes back a really long way. And you know, with, with companies and individuals and everyone, like we need to be taking frequent sustainable steps, you know, better, small, sustainable steps every single day than like a big influx. And then it's like, oh, I did my part and now I feel better. And my like, you know, white guilt is basically taken care of. And now like I'm done, you know, like nobody, that's not going to get us anywhere. That's not ultimately going to achieve anything. And so I think having grace and, and giving implementation time to really like to really sit with stuff. Like you don't want to just like read the books that everyone is talking about and then, you know, like feel better uh, about the world. Like that's not going to change anything. It's like really sitting with the material and the things that people are working really hard to educate us on and to, and to give us resources to and really internalizing it and really allowing that to take hold in our family, in our family dynamics, in our own hearts, in our life, in our business in the companies that we work for and we represent and everything else. And so I think that that's a beautiful framework and we need more frameworks like that to work within. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what I told the, the, the little life coach trainees, these little mm. baby life coaches oh. today, uh, during my, my instructing, like, I can't believe I'm a fucking life coach. You're a life coach like, instructor, instructor so guys. So Do you understand crazy. that? She's like a master <laughs> life coach. <laughs> I'm like here teaching other life coaches and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Um, I, this is what I told them. I said, this type of work, yes, is systemic, mm-hmm. like unraveling anti-racism and anti all isms is all the isms all the isms (laughs) is systemic yeah we are all we are all victims of a system of some sort of system whether you want to fucking believe it or not you are a victim of some sort of system and it's going to be a lifetime of work to unravel the learnings of that system Mm -hmm. and yes it's systemic let's let's not forget that it's systemic however it's also interpersonal work and the first system that you got to work on is your own system. 
is your own human operating system. If you don't fucking work on your own human operating system, you cannot help the other systems. You just can't. You really can't. And even for myself, as I'm learning these things that were taught to me as they're coming up this past week about my own skin color. Like, I mean, I was reminded so much of those fucking wounds this week. I was like, wait, let me check myself really quick. Let me, let me go through my own checklist. Have I been told to not love my fellow black people for whatever reason? And why was I told that? Oh, my parents didn't really know any better. Okay, that's fine. So why were they told that? Okay, they were told that. Okay, so that was past two generations. Oh, shit. They were told that because like way back in the day, Colonial mm. said that, that, that it wasn't good enough. Yeah. And it had to change and it had to be different and they had to fall into system. And if they didn't, they would be killed or murdered or prosecuted or all those other things. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's deep. It's really deep. And, you know, I think one of the things that I want to just share for any of the Filipino-American listeners out there um, and also for any listener, actually, for yeah. you guys to just empathize. Sorry about that. But yeah, for you guys to just all no, empathize with yeah. this. Is that like unraveling historical and un- unearned oppression and unearned privilege is hard work. It's really hard work. But I want you to imagine something because this is constantly asked of me when I would get into anything or in conversations. Where are you from? that question where am I from imagine being asked that over and over again in your lifetime Mm -hmm. just like sit with it close your eyes and imagine year after year getting into a taxi getting onto an airplane like somebody asking you where are you from and the question that you like have as an answer is I'm 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 from fucking Queens Astoria right but you know that's not what they're talking about you know they're not asking you that because they're curious about you Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, just yeah. If if you can close your eyes and imagine somebody asked that, or imagine your taxi cab driver, mm-hmm. or your Uber driver, or whatever that fucking question being asked over and over again by somebody who sits into their fucking like car, and they happen to actually be from America, they were born there, fourth generation. Yeah. You look like a racist piece of shit, and you kind of are. <laughs> That's like, like, I mean, it's it's yeah, wounds. The like. Yeah. Like, just just know that America is really hurting right now and everyone in it is hurting at the moment in different yeah. ways and so many different ways. And this is a marathon to fix mm-hmm. all the shit that we've gone through. Yeah. It's not a race. Be graceful with yourself. Drink a shit ton of water. Yeah. <laughs> Unplug sometimes from social self-care, media. Like, activism is so as important. much as you can. Yeah, but you got to And also, like, activism happens in your home, too. It does. Just it's because those hard conversations there. with relatives and, you know, the people that you don't want to talk about it to, the people who aren't on your Instagram, the people that you like water stuff down for on Facebook because you don't want to get into it with them when you see them at Thanksgiving. Like that's where you need to be focusing. Yeah. Not yeah. on the strangers who flip through your stories, you know. And also just remember like the idea of ripeness. Mm. Like some people might not be ready to hear that. Yeah. And you know, Chris, Chris, me and John always talk about the idea of ripeness Mm -hmm. in terms of just emotional and mental capacities, mainly emotional capacity, but you know, people might not be ripe to hear it. And it's not because they don't want to, they're just not ready. Yeah. They're not ready. They're not ready for it. And that's okay. Hold space for those people. Mm -hmm. Give them lots of grace. Keep bringing up the conversation and like ask for consent. 
Yeah. Don't just go in there fucking barreling thinking you can have that conversation. Actually ask like, hey, is it okay if we have this conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't want, if they say no, be respectful. Because for those of you guys who are going to be activating this type of movement in your communities and in your homes, mm-hmm. if they say no, like barreling through that is not going to give them the respect that they deserve. And they're only going to be triggered by anger. Yeah. And, and they're going to close down more. It's going to close them off to what you're hoping to help them see, exactly. you know, which defeats the entire purpose. And I want to add something on to that in case they find themselves on the flip side, which is, you know, you have all these thoughts, but you know better than to go and launch them onto somebody. If you walk in at Thanksgiving and your racist uncle walks up to you and is like, Hey, I saw blah, blah, blah on the news. What do you think about that? And it doesn't sound like it's going to be a productive, you can do a flip and you can basically be like, the conversation I'm interested in having is around this, 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 and this, is that the conversation you're ready to have with me? Mm-hmm. And let them decide if they, knowing where you stand immediately, if they want to engage or if they don't, because that is, that's just boundaries. That's good boundaries because most people are not going to ask you before they engage with you. So flipping it around so that you're like, this is where I'm at in, you know, 10 words or less. Like, are you ready to have this conversation with me? And most of them, you know, if they're there with poor intentions, they will not, they will not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to add to that, I mean, we can keep on adding. Yeah. Let's just add, let's just add, We're gonna keep on adding. add to that. <laughs> We're going to add to that. Um, But, you know, two hallmarks of a healthy relationship include clear boundaries and proactively communicated expectations. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's something that in terms of any kind of relationship, I don't care what you're developing, whether it's a brand partnership, a professional relationship, a coach to client, a sister, whatever, whatever relationship, any relationship. Yeah. The two hallmarks of it include clear boundaries and proactively communicated expectations mm-hmm. and also the mindset to know that these are fluid, that boundaries are fluid. They mm-hmm. can change. They can evolve. Yeah. They're not walls. They're boundaries for a reason. And you get to move them. Yeah. It's your job to enforce them and, and you get to also move them when you're ready, when you are ready to have that engaged conversation. And write that down because that is from a woman who coaches life coaches. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy and paste it for you so that you just have it and then you could actually put it in the show notes. I will put it in the show. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I will put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Copy and paste that. Um, you guys, as you will soon learn, I could, like when I say I could talk to someone all day, I'm normally like, really, I could talk to them for like four hours and I've already talked to them an hour and a half. And you know, that's what I mean when I say that. When I say that I could talk to Joe for all day, it literally we've like talked all day before. So that's, that is the truth, but I do think we should wrap this one up so that there is room for dialogue and conversation and feedback. And for those of you who are listening, obviously, as I said, kind of in the beginning, like this is a really hot, like time and topic. And it's, we're still, it's really, really fresh. It's really, really tender. Uh, my intention here today is to create a safe place for this dialogue. And that, that is my only motivation in having this conversation. And Joe being such a loving and inclusive person who is really dedicated to doing the work, I knew that it would be safe to have this conversation with her. And that is why I brought her on here. If I said anything that was untoward or not PC or not cool, I am open to being educated in a respectful way because I obviously mean no disrespect whatsoever. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we're here. So if any of the topics we touched on, if there's any perspective or anything that you think would even just enrich this dialogue, like, please, we're here for that. And we, we want that. We want that from you guys. We, we want to learn and to absorb and to continue to evolve and to hold space for more and more people. If we were not able to make it clear, I think both of us, like, we really want to love all of the people really well. Like we really do. That's something that's important to both of us that we're really passionate about. Yeah. 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 I also want to spend just like maybe a minute or two to just ground ourselves in gratitude really quick. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, if that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful that you are having this conversation with me. Mm-hmm. I will have to say that this conversation of bringing up my cultural experiences from my past it has always been really difficult for me mm-hmm. because it's really hard to understand. It's really hard to understand the... Um, the anti-brown-isms that I've experienced in my life from my parents. And it's hard to express that to people of different cultural backgrounds. And it's, it's been frustrating. I, I've, I've actually experienced that in my own current state with my, one of my partners of just exploring this. And it's not that he's shutting it down at all whatsoever. He's open to the conversation, but he just doesn't understand. Yeah. And he's just like me. Like, I don't understand either. I wish I could tell you which egotistical male like, was the fragile one who was like, this needs to be different and like spread that seed for everybody else. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I just want to say thank you. Mm. Thank you for holding space. Um, Kristen, you have always been somebody who's been fierce about speaking up on things. And I think it's women like you who are going to help shape these conversations. And it's a woman like you who's going to help to hold space for this and then to help others like myself be seen. So I just want to say that I am so fucking grateful that you are in my life. And now we're just going to cry for the rest of the show. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I received that. It took me a long time to get to where I could just receive something without putting down a bunch of um, prerequisites and things. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That is definitely the the desire of my heart. And I just am so in awe of you and your courage and your story. And honestly, it is an honor to hold space for you and for your story and for the other women and humans who come onto this show to share their stories. I know I say it all the time and it's in the in the the bumper of the show but like that Ann Voskamp quote of shame dies when stories are told in safe places like my deepest desire is for this to be a safe place for everyone to tell stories so that the shame and the fear and the stigma and everything can be lifted so that you can walk out of these conversations a little more free and a little more comfortable in your own body and with your own experiences and you have been extremely honest and raw and real and vulnerable and sharing so many different experiences and facets of womanhood and just fucking humanity. So thank you for that. Thank you for being seen, showing up and being seen. Like that is not easy. It's a practice and you continually do it. And I'm so grateful. It inspires me all the time. As ever both, as I'm crying in this She's just crying on the screen. Oh my God. I'm like, okay, we're going to end on a happy note because I can't help it. I have, I have two things. Note. It we is a happy so, note. It was, it was we're so, we're in love though. So like that. Um, can I leave you with a little like neuroscience, like nugget on that? Why you gratitude can, is so important. And maybe, you can, like, and yeah, then okay. I have to tell you something like stupid. So maybe I should go first because I want yeah, something let's smart. That. Let's end with a smart thing. because I'm going to tell you the stupid thing first. Okay. <laughs> Okay. The stupid thing is, and I, you guys are going to hate me so much, but literally I've been thinking this the whole conversation. Like 
not in a distracting way, but it's been back there for me to bring up. So you worked at Visco. Okay. Visco yes. is an app. Most people yeah. are familiar with it. I was at dinner um, in Nashville with a good friend of mine who I've known her boys since they were two and three and they are 12 and 13 now. Okay. So I like have a scrunchie in my hair and the 13 year old looks at me and he's like, what are you trying to be Visco? And I was like, where, where the fuck are you coming oh, up? You're, he's like, you're, new, you're trying to be a Visco, you're being girl, a Visco girl. And I looked, <laughs> looked at him, I looked at Mike and I'm like, is this the official moment? Like when you feel old, because I don't know what the fuck a Visco girl is. And I was like, do we need to Google this on like urban dictionary? Like what is happening? I was like, what is that Austin? And he's like, I don't know. It's just something that they say at school. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't know what stuff means, A, you probably shouldn't be saying it. And B, like, let's find out. I was like, the only thing I'm like, Visco is an app. Like, that's all I know. So we look it up and like, it's a whole type of girl with a whole like aesthetic. And it's like, it's kind of like being hipster, but like a little worse. It's like, it's basically being like a, a, and it's like a poser. It's like an Instagram, like influencer wannabe who yeah, like takes know, it way too seriously. I'm, I'm going to give you a little, a it little like, some more. Yeah, yeah, this is new. <laughs> so when building out the Visco platform for communities, yeah. one of the reasons why we didn't put um, likes or comments in that, mm -hmm. I was actually, I mean, it was a humongous like leadership decision, but because we didn't want people to feel like their work or themselves were valued based on number. Mm or based on likes and comments and things like Damn. that. And so one of the biggest things that I had to do in that company was also help build out the um, terms of safety, mm -hmm. trust and safety team at Visco. And we knew that our platform was uh, predominantly a young, uh, young teenage girl demographic between the ages of 13 to 15 and all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so the messages that we constantly got and heard from our communities was that Visco was a place that they felt safe. Um. And so while I do think it's kind of funny that there is this term Visco girl. It's unfortunately, on not being used hand, to surmise that. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, I know the history of why oh. we created that platform was to create safety for for these young girls who felt like they had no place to express themselves. Oh my goodness. Well, that's beautiful. So for anyone who needed a cultural lesson in Visco and Visco girls, <laughs> now you have it. I did set him straight on the fact that Visco girls did not come up with scrunchies. I was like, I'm yeah, so sorry yeah. to tell you this, um, but that was not. It's cool, to, it's, it's cool to see that it's become this like pop thing. But that is like a thing. It's, it's like a cultural reference that will be around now that like hopefully, uh, yeah, that you know, James and, and will say one day and her kid yeah. will be like, that's no one says Visco girl anymore, mom. And just to keep in mind, like, I mean, it was a, it's a platform of self-expression and one that we didn't have any, uh, we didn't have any likes or comments because again, we didn't want that. We wanted yeah. the, this place to be. You didn't want external validation necessarily. You just wanted didn't. to express yourself artistically. Well, damn we girls, you guys need to take back Visco girl for like what it was intended to be and not take it, take yeah, it back because it back. I did so much research oh. on trying to understand like the, the American girl between that age mm. range. Hashtag like, taking what back this go girl. <laughs> what it needed to be to keep her safe on this platform. So that yeah. was one of my roles there. Uh, the other okay, thing so, that I wanted to share yeah, in terms give me of your neuroscience. Smart yeah, smart stuff. I like I love this podcast. I'm gonna have to listen back to it because I'm like, wow, I've had some fucking life experience. You have had here. some you're like, I mean, I know you don't want to be a token, but like when it comes to very talented <laughs> friends who've done a lot of shit, like you may be one of my token friends. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean that in the most respectful way possible. I mean, as long as it's in the most respectful. Way the possible. Most. I I will be I will be your golden girl on a, like trophy golden girl golden. if you want to fucking have that. Yes, yeah. Um, 
So Zero the moments science. of the moments of gratitude that we just expressed, and for those of you guys who are still listening and want like just some 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 really good yeah, thanks for being here. This is why we're gonna have our own fucking show eventually. But the reason why you want to start any hard conversation with gratitude is because twenty minutes of gratitude actually infuses a bunch of um, neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, uh, neurophenephrine, I always fuck that one up. Mm. And those particular chemicals are designed to manage our emotions, anxiety, and immediate stress response. Mm. So if you want to start a hard fucking conversation, start it off with gratitude first. First and foremost, acknowledge like the people's presence and be grateful for their presence because that will immediately send a pump of fucking feel good chemicals into their body. And it is like releasing so much dopamine in the body. And the difference about this is that gratitude once these once these endorphins are like pushed into your body in this capacity in the gratitude level, it's something called capitalization, uh, which then acts like as a as a pump. And so capitalization is actually when you are sharing good news with trusted others in, in psychology that's called capitalization. And the entire act of it acts like a, a pump of all these feel-good neurotransmitters in the body. And so what that does, it, it actually opens up the space for learning. Mm. And it actually opens up the space for that because the body is no longer triggered. So what she's saying is that we just got high on the podcast, A. <laughs> just got high off. We all. just got high off of gratitude. We did. And yeah. B, we just learned a bunch of shit together, which is really we important. We just learned a bunch really of shit important. Together. And hopefully so, our mean, gratitude helped you guys have a grateful response, which helped you maybe learn something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just we should just start thoughts. that off in all the other podcast episodes. We should. We'll just start with like, ooh, how grateful. How grateful yeah. am I for and you, And then you Joe. <laughs> yeah. No, that's beautiful. I'm down to do that in real life. Ugh. The incomparable, brilliant, delicious Joe Encarnacion, everybody. Mm, Joe, I thank you, you so much. I love you too. I see you and I hear you. And mm. thank you. I see you and I hear you. Hey, thank you so much for hanging in there and listening with an open and curious heart. I hope this conversation has inspired, educated, and entertained you, or at the very least, shaken things up in a productive way. Ann Voskamp says that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So please share, rate, and review. Sending you love and dark chocolate. Talk soon.